This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. I'm Ken Apsuck, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at Beyond the Wall. All right, I took my time. I really, really wanted to take my time before coming back to this discussion about this episode, which uh, I wouldn't say is one of the more controversial episodes. I think we can look back to uh, Season 5, Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken is the most controversial one, but this one definitely stirred some emotions. And as we are get deep into Season 7, the end of Season 7, quite frankly, and uh, turning the corner on the final six episodes of the series in late 2018, early 2019 or later, I think a lot of people are feeling a lot of things about this season that uh, up to now it's been it's been a pretty well-received season with some questions uh, about travel and plot and dialogue and all those kind of things, and then it kind of overflowed this week with uh, Beyond the Wall. Uh, having some some things that people weren't fans of, which is fine. And the first thing I want to do, I got a lot of calls queued up. I'm finally getting to uh, Daily Thrones today. Apologize, work took me away from broadcasting earlier in the day. But if you're listening on the Daily Podcast, it's like I'm new and fresh right here, right there. Um, look, uh, I have a lot of calls in the queue. I'm going to post here on Daily Thrones, and I wanted to take a moment to thank anyone who listens to Daily Thrones for the wonderful discussions and questions and thought starters you guys have. I think we do it right here. Uh, I'm in this media discussion world and have been for the last five years breaking down movies and talking about this and reviewing books and TV shows. The punditry of pop culture is a business now, and it's thankfully given me a career. But it, it can be pretty toxic and can be pretty bad. And there's a what I try to do with Force Center, what I try to do with Jedi Alliance back in the day with Maud Garrett, and what we try to do uh, for the most part, uh, at least the shows I'm on at Collider, is, is be positive. It doesn't mean you can't have problems. It doesn't mean that you can't look at uh, Beyond the Wall and raise some questions, because I certainly did. But I, I got a little frustrated today on Thrones Talk and on Twitter after because... The time travel stuff or, or you know, the, where people can, are just overly concerned, I think, with some of the distances being traveled or the pacing of the episodes. And those aren't concerns that shouldn't be brought up. Uh, the Seasons one and two and three, we had more time. We spent more time. Bran and Jamie's journey was amazing to watch. Arya and Tywin at, at uh, Harrenhal is some of my favorite stuff. And those are the quiet moments. But I think the show has, has moved on. Solutions are coming. The end is near. And... The journey isn't as important this time around. Now, you may disagree with that, but that's my point. We come to Daily Thrones, you guys call in, you guys tweet me, and we have a discussion about it, and we all celebrate this thing we love. And I think as the audience has grown with Daily Thrones, it has uh, it has definitely gotten uh, bigger because of the show, and more people are listening and downloading, and I thank you, and there might be some new voices. I started this in March, uh, and we're going to keep going. I have no intentions to stop this as long as Anchor will have me. I will be here. And I'm only going to be able to be here because you guys continue to have a fun celebratory tone when discussing Game of Thrones. If we have a problem, so maybe it's a uh, number one, we can discuss it. But two, maybe there's a theory behind it. And let's have fun with that theory. Uh, at the end of the day, this is still one of the best shows of all time. And yeah, Gendry ran pretty fast. But you know what? It was cool that he did. And it was a great moment. And that raven may have flown triple the speed of an average raven. But... You know what? 
it led to a great moment. Now, some of the problems I have is the tension I thought was removed because we knew Danny was coming. I was waiting for it. We were all waiting for it. And we all kind of anticipated a dragon come. But that's all so part of the part of what's going on. It's we've had now seven years, way more if you've been a book reader from the beginning, to speculate, to theorize. And that's part of the fun of Game of Thrones. And now we're getting to the point where like years and years and years of a dragon might die. We might see a dragon die. Now we saw it. And that might not be what you wanted to happen or how exactly you wanted to happen. So that could lead to some problems. And that's some of the stuff what I was feeling in watching the episode. But um, I enjoyed it. And you guys also, when I make mistakes, like I went on before watching the episode the second time for the second time last night on Daily Thrones. And I was like, where's the dragon glass? And other people were asking, where's the dragon glass? And on second viewing, I saw Jor, I saw Tormund, I saw dragon glass. But some great calls. And I'll probably still post one from a caller, uh, Jeff. You guys don't do the normal internet thing, which is scream, shout, wag a finger. You missed the dragon glass. You just said, oh, hey, Ken, I think you missed this. There was dragon glass. And that is what makes Daily Thrones so fun to do every day. And I wanted to take a moment to let you guys know how much I appreciate it. And the discussion's going to continue. Let's get to your calls here about Beyond the Wall. Hey, Ken. Just calling about the Dragonglass uh, questions. I believe Jorah was using Dragonglass daggers, and Tormund did have an axe sort of made of Dragonglass. Uh, at the start of the episode, it looked like he was having a normal axe, but it looked like it changed halfway through. Uh, John had his Valyrian steel, Thoros and uh, Beric had the flaming swords, and um, obviously the Hound started using the hammer, so most people had something that was sort of effective. Um, overall, really enjoyed the episode. Still got a lot of questions going into episode 7. And uh, not a big fan of Arya. Haven't been for the past couple seasons. And this kind of just came to a point with this uh, episode. Um, loving the show. Thanks. Hey, Ken. Just something I was wondering about after watching tonight's Game of Thrones episode. I was thinking about the scene where the Hound is throwing rocks and he hits the hits the one in the face that breaks off his lower jaw. You can actually see all of the other whites around him kind of react slightly almost as if they felt that as well and you you hear it when the hound kicks the one they have tied up the one white that they have tied up they all seem to react it had me thinking what if the white walkers the blue-eyed white walkers are actually using some sort of warg ability to warg into the dead at all times and that's why the white walkers are more important and that's why when the white walkers are taken down their army the whites just kind of fall apart um, just a, a thought that came to my mind. I'm wondering if there's any evidence that could prove or disprove that, if you'd uh, have a thought. Thanks for taking the call, and have a great night. Great question by Sir Thomas Attal about the Whites and the White Walkers, and I thought that was one of the more interesting revelations on the show. Whether or not it carries on, not just in the books, but just the true mythology of what makes a White uh, white, what makes them function. But I do like this idea that uh, one controls many, perhaps the Night King controls all of them. I like this idea, and I don't think it was a throwaway thought from Beric Dondarrion about, hey, we got to take him out and we could win. It's just a matter of getting there. I do like the idea that, hey, maybe there's something going on beyond just reanimation. Maybe the, the Night King and his minions have uh, warging abilities, the power to really climb into these... Uh, undead many at a time obviously that explains a connection would make some sort of sense and also be make some sense why warging is so important and why warging is pretty much only present north of the wall there are of course examples even more in the books where i believe john and Arya have more wolf dreams and those kind of warg dreams and all those kind of things it's not just necessarily brand with that power in the books but on the show that's where we're at with it 
So I, I think that can uh, that that could be a possible theory, and I like the idea. The, what I've always loved is is the unexplained nature of the Night King and the Army of the Undead. Going back to the first 30 seconds of the show, and certainly it's changed. What the White Walkers were presented as in the first moments of the show and even in season two and beyond. Like, I, I actually uh, thought they were a little more creepy back then. Once the curtain was pulled back, yeah, they're not as creepy. Nah, and I like that. I'm okay with that. They can't just be these shadows in the forest. And um, maybe one day we'll hear them talk in that beautiful, icy language that they have. But for right now, I enjoy the mystery. I don't need them. The villains are present in Westeros. It's everyone fighting everyone. It's every, It's the shades of gray that drive all of our uh, good and evil characters in the show. So I, I just like the Night King being this menace. The North that we don't fully understand. Sometimes when we get the answers we want, uh, they're not quite the answers we want. But so far, the show's been pretty good, doling them out in very, very slow parts um, and, and a slow pace. I think when you go, when we go back and we're going to watch all this uh, eight seasons done, you'll see how the, how the White Walkers slowly, they, they come back and they go from myth to a reality in a very nice pace. And maybe we'll get the answers late in the show, just as we might get the answers late in the books. I definitely think... The Night King, at least show Night King, is tied to the Starks in some way. Uh, the Knight's King, the, f- the legendary 13th Knight Commander, uh, Commander of the Night's Watch, um, that's not how I think we're seen on the show. We've discussed that previously on Daily Thrones, but I think this one is tied even more than we know to Bran. I don't know if it's that time traveling theory. I don't know if the Night King is Bran and Bran is the Night King. I don't know about all that. It's fun to talk about. You guys are great on those theories. But I think it's all tied together, and more is going to come out. So right now, hey, all we know, you take out one, and you might take out many. That's why you got to have that dragon glass, the Valyrian steel, and bring some fire. More coming here on Daily Thrones. I just finished watching the episode for the second time. <laughs> um... I think it's a good episode. I still have mixed feelings about it. Uh, but I think it was a pretty important episode for Danny. It was crucial for her. Uh, like she said in the, at the end, uh, she had to see all that to, to believe it and to really take some action and support John against the Night King. Um, I liked it overall. I really, really liked it. But, I, I hate that this is the first time that I hate Arya. I totally hated that first scene with Sansa. I I hate Arya now, and I I feel bad about that. I don't know what's going to happen, but oh, oh, I don't know. What's up, Ken? It's Chad from Rev Chad's Real Life. Talk about last night's episode a little bit. So I watched it. I was tired, but I want to make sure we got it in anyway. And, you know, honestly, I was a little disappointed. Like, I was really hoping for a lot of great resolution. Um, but I've been on Reddit all, all, all morning long thinking about it. And I realize there's the stuff going on with just the fact that the Double Ds are having to write this thing now. They never signed on for that. Um, I felt like I felt like there was just a lot of little stuff that would have not happened two or three seasons ago. And I, I understand they're trying to tie it up, all that business. But... This is the question that I think is very interesting. Uh, it's a dragon. Where on earth did they get those 
chains. Like, seriously. But anyway, love the show, and I love your show. Looking forward to what everybody else has to say about this amazing episode. All right, guys. Reverend Chad brings up a good question. Is he, um, like many of us, I think, here on Day This Runs, loved a lot of this episode, has some big questions, and the question of the chains. We got this on Collider today. We'll get to here in Daily Thrones, and I think I think we are collectively going to need to come to a head cannon decision because I think it's a fair question. Did uh, did he walk around? Did the Night King walk around those chains, waiting to waiting for something? Now I know uh, there's some theories, and I think our good friend Kevin over three cocktail questions is already uh, out there spouting about that maybe the Night King wanted to trap a dragon. Maybe he knew. Maybe he could see. Maybe some kind of because he's got these uh, brand-like powers. Maybe he's connecting some other way. Or maybe he just took a wild guess and was like, maybe I get these guys into a little bit of trouble and a dragon comes my way. Or maybe he just heard about the possibility of dragons and he had these chains around to trap them in some way. But I think what's more likely is we're not seeing the traveling caravan of undead horses wielding undead carriages. And then I think after Hard Home, there was some, some chains up there, maybe left from some ships, Hard Home. This is the first time ships have come into that port. A little bit of trading's gone on there uh, in the past. So maybe there's ships. Maybe there's ships that come in and they need big chains. And the Night King saw that like a going to garage sale. was like, ah, this is good. I need that lamp. I need this uh, Swiffer wet jet. And I need these chains. I think that might be a good enough answer. But I want you guys to help. How did the Night King get those chains? Why did he have those chains? Bigger theory? Smaller answer? Do you even care? I think it's a fair question, though. We have to come together for this head cannon explanation here on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken. So I rewatched the episode before I went to sleep, and I totally accept um, the way Benjamin Stark uh, went out. I think it was appropriate that he went out fighting the undead and saving John. That really was, and it was his purpose, you know, first to save Bran last season and now to save John. So I totally get it. But. The thing that struck me when I rewatched the episode, it made me dislike the episode um, more, not like the episode more. I have to admit, I'm not 100% crazy about the episode. It's not bad. There's a lot to like about it. Absolutely, we're going to have a lot to talk about. But it's definitely my least favorite episode of the season, I would say, right now. There's just something that just... I don't know if it's because I expected it to be something else, but, you know, not a bad episode, but it's my least favorite of the season. Ken, I definitely understand uh, your thoughts on, you know, not loving the episode, but I got to tell you, for me personally, I think this is easily one of the uh, best episodes of the whole series, easily in the top three. I mentioned in my Stardust review uh, about how, what shocked me, honestly, was the fact that one of the biggest fan theories of the Ice Dragon came to fruition. I thought, oh, there's no way. We may lose a dragon during this series, but an Ice Dragon? No way. And, well, wouldn't you know it? It happened. Uh, so, and now I'm just kind of sitting back with the rest of everybody thinking, well, now what happens? And what, is, what are your thoughts on the idea of the early earlier call saying that this might have been a ploy by the Night King the entire time. Hey, Ken, just some thoughts on uh, Viserion dying and, and the Ice Dragon. Is there a possibility that that could actually turn out to be the greatest advantage that uh, humankind has 
right now against the Army of the Dead. Is there a chance, we've seen Bran warg into the dead before, is there a chance that Bran could actually warg into the now-dead dragon? Um, just just a thought, and you know, that would really backfire on the Night King, so just something that crossed my mind, and wondering if there's uh, any proof or evidence to that. Thanks for taking the call. Hey, this is Luminati. I have to commend the callers. Everybody seems to have kept their cool, made some excellent comments. But, man, I got to throw in some throne rage. Man, I was really ticked off when the dragon got killed. I mean, I kind of knew one was going to get killed, but I didn't want it to get killed by the Ice King or one of his minions. That kind of that kind of upset me. But then again, on the light side, now they have a dragon. Looks like game over. But I'm wondering what happened to Jon Snow while he was under the water. When he came up, he was uh, saved by uh, the character. I can't remember his name. But anyway, he was saved for a reason. Then Jon, uh, when, he, when he wakes up in the bed, Daenerys looking at him. They're holding hands, sure. But then he, he falls back to sleep. So what is going to... Uh, what kind of new powers is John going to have when he awakens? Yeah, th that's got to be something. Then another thing to tick. All right, let's keep talking about that ice dragon. Yeah, it was definitely the big part of the show, right? And, and Viserion's death was the cost of the mission. I know a lot of other people felt maybe uh, more than just Thoros of Mir and the Red Shirts. The Wilding Red Shirts should have passed on. And I, I agree that to some extent. But we have... We have Tormund, we have Barak, they're still alive, uh, serving some sort of purpose here on the show. <sighs> and I can breathe a sigh of relief, Jorah is still alive. But about the dragon, I just talked about it earlier, but the question gets raised again by uh, by uh, Mark here. Like, could the Night King have been planning something this? I don't know. The Night King definitely has some strategy at foot. He definitely knows what he's doing. He is leading this army. He knows he can't cross the wall. At least we feel as though he can't cross the wall, even though his mark is on Bran. Uh, I believe the wall courses magic. I think everyone by this point accepts the wall has some sort of magic in it, much like the tree that Bran uh, went to and Cold Hands couldn't pass into. So the Night King, he's just taken his, he's taken his army all around that part, that eastern part of the uh, lands beyond the wall. Uh, so I don't know... If, I don't know if he would have had the foresight to think, a dragon comes, I want to capture it. But now that he has this dragon, uh, what's uh, the advantage? Can he just fly over the wall? Does magic still work high above in the sky? And, like the question gets raised here by Sir Thomas, uh, does Bran, with his worgen ability, have a chance to get into that dragon? We are under the impression that Bran will fly. We've seen him fly in the ravens. We've seen him fly through time, so to speak. We've seen him fly all around the world and all around history through the trees. Does that include dragons? Could he be the third dragon rider? We've been focusing on Danny and John, rightfully so, and Luminati's question about how will John raise, will he, will he wake up with some new powers? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what he was touched by underwater. I don't know what he what happened up there. He might just be having some dreams about Danny, for all we know. But uh, will the third rider, is Tyrion even a, a factor? Viserion is, uh, Viserion's dead. If that's Tyrion's dragon, he's probably not going to get a chance to ride it. The only one I could see riding it, other than the Night King right now, would be Bran warging into it. A longtime fan theory of an ice dragon confirmed. Could some other wild theories about Bran be confirmed? I don't know. But we do know this. That Ike King has got to be feeling pretty good about his chances.
Hey, Ken. I just wanted to address, like, the lack of stakes that I found in last night's episode. I could really tell who the red shirts were when they were getting attacked by the polar bear, which I thought was awesome, by the way. I want to be completely negative. The polar bear scene was really cool, and I liked it a lot. But I could really tell that not really anyone was in danger. They brought along those expendable characters, and really only one of our main characters died during this trip. So the whole time I could I could kind of tell that nobody was in real danger, and that there were just too many fake-outs for me. I actually thought Tormund was going to die, but then they faked it out. Then they had John plunge into water, which I thought was a cool idea, him being left behind. But then, of course, he saves himself because he's not going to die that way. And then Dusak's Benjen shows up and saves him again and then goes off without them having a, a moment. I just felt like the lack of stakes, it was kind of contrived a little bit. The whole, like, the scenario, it really just, just threw me off, even though I liked the whole idea. So Billy's talking about the lack of stakes in this episode, which for me uh, was one of the biggest problems is a lack of tension. Battle of the Bastards, Hard Home. Hard Home being the prime example of that lump in your throat, you're holding your breath, you're, you're not knowing if your characters are going to survive. I talked earlier on Collider's Thrones talk today about how the Battle of the Bastards, I didn't think Jon Snow was going to die, but for five seconds when he's buried and being trampled, I thought, is this how Jon Snow goes? Now, reasonably, with common sense as a fan, I knew Jon Snow wasn't going to go then, but the battle was played out so well and shot so well that I just, for a second, lost myself. I never quite lost myself in this episode. I thought Tormund might go. I, that seemed reasonable, and it didn't happen. I thought maybe we'd see someone else go, but there was never those moments that I was convinced in my heart for at least a second that some of these characters I love were going to go. Plus, again, the tension was relieved. Jon Snow says Danny's our only hope. Gendry goes and sends a raven, and we see that successful. A raven is sent. Danny gets the message. Tyrion tries to keep her, tells her a very interesting lesson about sometimes doing nothing is the hardest thing, and Daenerys is not going to take that because he's told her to do nothing before she flies off. So we know she's on the way there. So I was watching the final 20 minutes, this big battle, which was which was great, and some great moments, and I, I just never thought Jon Snow was going to die. And that's okay. Sometimes that's what the story needs to have happen. Uh, this is just what's going to happen to our characters. Everything can't be in dramatic TV or movie tension. That all can't be a big surprise. Uh, I don't Now, as far as the... The dragon, some people calling it a deus machina type of situation. Uh, Drew McWeeny tweeted out of uh, Film Pundit that, can you really call it that? When they've been building towards the dragons having some big purpose and moment for six plus seasons now. Uh, it wasn't a surprise. It did save the day, kind of the definition of, of the trope, but it's not a huge surprise. We knew it was building for that, but that also, again, was the, maybe the problem with the episode, at least for me, one of the biggest problems is it was great. What I was watching was wonderful. Um, typical Game of Thrones uh, epicness, but I just kind of knew what was going to happen. Now, we could kind of guess that the Knights of the Vale were going to save the day in the Battle of the Bastards, but it, we still had some doubt. It wasn't as certain. We didn't see the Knights taking off and Baelish and Sansa saying, let's go save the day. We saw Danny fly off. I don't know if maybe you just cut away and her and Tyrion are arguing and we could have left some room for guessing, some room for that tension to creep in, that might have been a little better. But they made the choice, and that's what it is. We saw Danny make the choice to leave. That was a, its own powerful moment, and I can get behind that. Hey, Ken, this is Peyton Shepard. Uh, after watching Game of Thrones last night, I do have to say that I kind of agree with your analysis that... You, you liked it, but you didn't love it. 
And I think that that's just kind of a consequence of where we are in the series. We're coming to a close really quickly, and we're getting to the point where there's not as many characters to pare down. There's a lot of characters that, you know, other than their Lord of Light perception, they kind of serve a purpose at this point. And ultimately that purpose is going to be to die for different causes. But if we go around killing off all of these central main large players in the story, we're not going to be left with much in season eight. So I understand why, like maybe one person, Thoros died in the episode and that's not exciting, but it's important, and it's unfortunate, and it's not as compelling on screen, but it makes sense in the overall scope of the plot. Hey, Ken, I really liked uh, the episode of Game of Thrones, and um, the Beyond the Wall episode is just really an amazing episode to me. There were a few things in there that I was questioning about the dragon glass and why they, why at least it didn't seem like they were using it, and also the Valerian steel sword, which he did kill one of the walkers earlier on with uh, in this episode. I also was really um, interested in that uh, exchange between S uh, Sansa and Arya because Sansa seems like she's about to play right in the little finger's hands. She's becoming that little girl who can't be told what to do even though Brienne tried to tell her. And um, it's going to be really interesting to see where that goes, but I don't think it's going anywhere good. Uh, this is going to be an exciting uh, conclusion next Sunday, and we'll see what it brings toward next season. Have a great day. Hey, Daily Thrones. I have never called it before. This is Emily Baker. I loved episode six. There were exchanges in there between the Hound and Tormund that were just everything. They were funny and they were light in the face of this, you know, uncertain future as they're marching out to go find a white. It was just so good. I loved the suspense of them sitting out there surrounded by whites. I know some people thought that maybe that wasn't great, but um, I love the theory that maybe that was a trap. But the suspense of it I thought was fantastic. And sometimes not having action speaks volumes. And I thought it was just a tremendous episode. So I was super excited. But those little exchanges in there were pure gold. Can't wait till Sunday. All right, guys, some good calls to round out the day. Glad to see Dwayne calling back in. Always nice to have you around, Dwayne. And a new caller, Emily Baker. Thanks for your call and your positivity about this episode. And that's what I love about Daily Thrones. We just had a full-on discussion today about everything we had questions about and things we enjoyed. And I'd like to end on a positive note. This episode, when it's all put together... Despite the fact that it lacked a little tension. And I want to thank Peyton for backing me up on that call as well. Talking about sometimes this is what the story requires. Uh, these characters have to die for the greater good. And we're losing important characters because the show is getting smaller as the story comes to a solution. But overall, I think when this, this is all said and done, the eight seasons are put together. This will be an episode that fits in very well. And it has moments that call back even far back as season one. The stuff going on with Sansa and the letter, which we haven't really gotten into yet. We will have that discussion uh, later this week here on Daily Thrones. But Benjen coming back, whether you liked it or not, it was a moment that adds weight. If you go back and rewatch season one now, the last time Benjen and Jon speak will have more weight to you than it did then. Because we now know Benjen's purpose and one of his purposes was to help brand number one. And save John when he needed it the most for the sake of mankind. And that, to me, is part of the things that this episode did really well. 
It may have some questions. We may have some doubts. But Game of Thrones is still what brings us here. It is so fun discussing with you guys on uh, Daily Thrones every day. Don't forget we have a daily podcast available on Google Play and Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Ken Knapsack. Use the hashtag Daily Thrones to join that conversation. And more important than all of it, call in. Be interactive. Your voice, I keep saying, it's not just a catchphrase. Your voice and your opinions are what makes Daily Thrones here on Anchor work. Otherwise, it's just the ramblings of a madman alone in his nerd cave. Now, we don't want that. This is a group here on Daily Thrones, and you guys are a part of it. See you tomorrow.